Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. This morning's scripture is from the Old Testament, the book of Job. We'll be reading from chapter 38, verses 1 through 7, and skip to 34 to 41 for those on TV. Let's hear the word of God. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Who is this that darketh counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you and you shall declare to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were the bases sunk? Or who laid the cornerstone when the morning stars sang together? And all the heavenly beings shouted for joy. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that the flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings so that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the minds? Who has the wisdom to number the clouds? Or who can lift or tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clods cling together? Can you hunt the prey for the lions or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait for their covenants? Who provides for the raven its prey when the young ones cry to God and wonder about for lack of food? Y'all have been here for what is a first uh, in my time as a pastor at Second Pots. Somebody who came to the pulpit before me has taken the first page of my notes. (laughs) So here we go. We're going to get through it together. Let me tell you what I think I was planning to say. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago or so, I preached uh, from the book of Proverbs, you might remember. And I introduced Proverbs as being part of the, of the wisdom literature of Hebrew Scripture. Well, today, Job is another part of the wisdom literature. But it could not be any more different from Proverbs. Proverbs, for instance, you know, remember, Proverbs is kind of a primer written for children to, to learn the wisdom, the common wisdom for just making it through the day, being a good person. One of the Proverbs says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Another one of the, those simple Proverbs In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Another one, 
The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. Well, all of those things are true until they're not true. Proverbs for children gives the standard, the hope, and most of the time it is true. If you do good, you will get better outcomes than if you don't do good. But what we know is that sometimes life throws us exceptions. Sometimes calamity and catastrophe come anyway. So if Proverbs is the elementary school version of wisdom literature, then the book of Job is grad school. It's it's the meaty wisdom of what happens when it doesn't go as it's supposed to go. So the person Job is described as being upright, just, and we start looking at his his life and it looks kind of like the the set of the TV show Dallas, right? I mean, everything, he's got more land than he can look at in one, one pass. He can't see all of the land he's got. He's married, he's got 10 children, flocks and herds and everything is going his way until it doesn't. All of a sudden, everything goes wrong. Foreign bandits come and steal most of his flocks and his herds. Tornado strikes the house, killing his children. Then his own health starts falling apart. Family is gone. Success is shattered. He's run up all the credit cards. And on top of that, he's got painful boils all over his body. All of our collective pain is found somewhere in his story. Health issues. Grief. Financial ruin. All of it. It's all in this one narrative. And just to make things worse, his three friends show up to offer their care. And the truth is, they offer really good care for seven days. Because for seven days, they didn't open their mouth. That's pretty good care from friends. It's when they started talking that all the problems started. You see, they couldn't understand Job's plight because they were still carrying their elementary school theology. Right? The book of Proverbs says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. So they're saying to Job, so where did you do wrong that you're not prospering? The Proverbs say, and always submit to him, and he will make your path straight. So Job, when did you stop submitting to him? That's what the Proverbs say. Where did you blow it? Proverbs says, the path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. And they say, Job, it's pretty clear to me that you're not on the path of righteousness. 
Because look at you, this is not brighter than the full light of day. What terrible sin have you committed for all of these horrible things to happen to you? Well, Job finds this infuriating. He knows he hasn't done anything to deserve this turn of events. And increasingly, he gets more frustrated with his friends. And he gets angrier and angrier with God. And the book of Job records his anger and his frustration. Then know that God has wronged me. Even when I call out, I have been wronged, I am not answered. I call aloud, but there is no justice. I cry out to God, but you do not answer me. I stand up, but you merely look at me. Job has exposed the complexity of a life that intends to be virtuous, right? I mean, it is true that goodness begets goodness. It, it is true that righteous living results in sunshine, except when it's not true. And the simple answers that people cross-stitch and hang in their kitchen is just not enough. When I was a hospital chaplain, I saw waiting rooms full of family and care packages and deacons and devotional books. And the surgeon would come out, head down, bad news. And down the hall, a little boy gets well and a social worker is trying to get in touch with some family member to come take the child home and the social worker can't get in touch with anyone. I've heard the prayers of the righteous crying out to God because their child has taken a dark path toward addiction or rebellion or some prodigal defiance. And they pray and sob, I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. And they hear no answer at all. Continued agony. Faithful mother, faithful wife, faithful church leader. And now with two small children, she stands under a green funeral tent, widowed. PTA president. Yard of the Month, chair of the missions committee at First Baptist, sits in a hospital gown on white crinkly paper and hears what may be the ugliest word in the English language. Malignant. She teaches four-year-old Sunday school after teaching middle school math all week. In the summer, when school's out, she volunteers at the Shepherd's Center, feeding people who can't feed themselves breakfast. And then one morning at home, while she's having breakfast, her husband looks over his cereal bowl and says to her out of nowhere, 
I don't love you anymore. At least not like I love Karen. Job says, don't come at me with some cliche about God's will. Don't you dare wrap my pain in some elementary school theology. Don't tell me that good things, that good things happen to good people. And Job is aggravated. He's aggravated with his friends who offer, offer up simple quotes that they saw on a mug at the Christian bookstore. And he's furious with God, and he shakes his fist toward heaven, and he says, God has wronged me. Even when I call out, I have been wronged. I am not answered. I call aloud, but there is no justice. And then finally, after 37 chapters of calamity, after 37 chapters of simplistic theology, After 37 chapters of Job's implication that God is unjust, capricious, and savage, God answers. Well, no, not exactly. God doesn't exactly answer. God speaks. God doesn't answer because unlike the friends of Job, God gives no reason, no answer, no account. Instead, God has a list of questions to ask Job. Wednesday morning, I was in my office. Melissa called and said, how's it coming? She knows that Wednesday's the day I close the door, the day I work all morning in hopes of coming out with a first draft of a Sunday sermon. I said to her, oh, oh, it's coming great. Uh, my only task for the day is answer the question about bad things happening to good people, and I've just got 20 minutes to answer it. That's all. And to make matters worse, God's response to Job sounds a little bit like God's being a smart aleck. I don't know what to do with this. Melissa said, smart aleck. Sounds right up your alley. I think you'll do just fine. But listen to God's response to Job from the J.B. Phillips translation and tell me if it doesn't sound so. I have some questions for you, God says to Job, and I want some straight answers. Where were you when I created the earth? Tell me, since you know so much, who decided on its size? Certainly you'll know that. Who came up with the blueprints and measurements? How was its foundation poured? Who set the cornerstone while the morning stars sang in chorus and the angels shouted in praise? Can you get the attention of the clouds and commission a shower of rain? Can can you take charge of the lightning bolts and have them report to you for orders? Can you teach the lioness to stalk her prey and satisfy the appetite of her cubs? And who sets food out for the ravens when their young cry to God, fluttering about because they have no food? 
God responds by saying, who do you think you are? God's love extends and expands across the whole of creation. And you and I look out one tiny window. Job has a limited perspective on creation and order in the world. And God has stewardship of it all. I love the quote by Frederick Beekner about this story in Job. Beekner says that God explaining these events to Job would be about as helpful as trying to explain Einstein's theory of relativity to a small-necked crab. How is it that we think we should get to comprehend and categorize the mind and will and grace of God? Job's insistence that he get answers and satisfaction is based on his own sense of greatness and ability. You see, his questions orient the universe around him. Job needs answers. Job needs justice. Job needs God to do right by him. Job Job needs to regain his sense of control. But Job is creation, God is creator. This is God's world, not ours. While Job shakes his fist and demands answers, God reminds Job that it's God who commissions rain from the clouds. Lightning reports to God. God teaches the lioness how to search for food. Job, I hear you, but this is bigger than you are. And in the meantime, I have a universe to run. It's worth noting that God does not reprimand Job's anger. Honest and intimate relationships always have room for anger. It's also worth noting that God has not abandoned Job. God does not answer, but God stays engaged in the relationship. God's answer from the whirlwind may not offer as much satisfaction as we demand, But withholding answers is not the same thing as withholding relationship. Craig Craig Barnes, the president of Princeton Seminary, said recently, We have to let the why questions be asked, knowing that it isn't going to be answered. But we have to allow for the question." But when Job received an answer to the who question, he was able to let go of the why question. In the final chapter of Job, Job answers this encounter with the Holy One. And Job says, I know that you can do all things. 
I have uttered what I did not understand. I had heard of you, but now my eyes see you, therefore I repent. Somehow, for Job, the presence and encounter with the who was enough for him to let go of the why. May that be true for us. May God meet our anger and our questions with enough of God's loving presence for us to find the grace to let go of the why. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.